Well, it's great to be with you. Old church. List of the old. I've got to work out which is the middle. Oh, look at that. There it is. Up already. Christian holiness living it out. I think this is the first time I've had to do a talk here that I haven't actually uh, decided that what we would be doing for ages. <laughs> so uh, it's quite a novelty. Bit nervous. <laughs> Um, but it is good to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing Christian holiness, living it out, or maybe subtitled Love and Labour, Not Lust, Lawlessness, or Legislation. But before we begin, I just wanted just to update you a little bit about what's been happening with me, because it's, you know, it's, I don't see you guys very often. And there's some dear friends here. Uh, I see some of you on a Monday lunchtime. We still do the Bible study, which is fun. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, it's fair to say that for most, like most of us, it's a mixture of wonder and weariness. Uh, you know, God is amazing. He does incredible things. Incredible things. And uh, in the last month, uh, I had the... I was waiting. Guess what? Did I tell you this before? I my new church, you know, Refresh down in Malsey, they sent me away on a golf tour, golf weekend... Evangelism. Fantastic. I got to play golf all weekend and do evangelism. But part of that weekend, there was a guy there who was going to uh, stop after the first day because his, he couldn't hardly walk um, when he got up uh, on the second morning. And uh, so I just stretched out my hand and prayed for him. And I didn't think anything of it, you know, because it's what we do, isn't it? We pray for the sick because Jesus had said that we should do it and we copy him. And that's what he'd spent most of his time doing. Anyway... Um, he played golf the whole day and the whole weekend. There's no pain. Come on. You know, and people were gossiping. The non-Christians on this evangelism weekend, which is really just an excuse to play golf, were gossiping about the fact that, wow, did you hear about that? He got healed from prayer. So that was kind of cool. Um, then uh, next, the following week, or the week after, we had a healing meeting uh, at Refresh, and I prayed for one chap with another guy. And uh, he had another bad knee, so it seems to be a bit of a knee thing going on. And uh, we prayed for him, and he also had some reconciliation things uh, with the daughters, with, uh, some stuff going on there. So we, we prayed for him, and uh, the next week he comes to church, and he says, look at this church. He said, I never used to be able to do this. He said, I hadn't done this for nine years. Come on. Sorry about the dancing, Keith. But, you know, that's amazing. It's a wonder, isn't it? Isn't it a wonder? I never tire of God doing little wonders. You know, come on. Let's give him opportunities all the time to do wonders. So that's wonder, okay? Weariness. Weariness. I'm weary with the political stuff going on. It's all kind of like, nang, nang, nang. You know, it's, it's so uh, yeah, rubbish. P powerful men trying to get their own way. You know, really, they mess up the world, don't they? They mess up the world. Truth just trying to control things, manipulate things. And it's just, I'm fed up with it. It's wearying. I'm also quite fed up with religion. Wearied by religion. Uh, I've been speaking at my new church quite a lot. And, um, you know, so, so uh, lots of positive feedback. And one morning I got this glowing email from someone saying, this is going to change everything that we do with our evangelism. He said, you've got to go further, you've got to go faster, we're loving this stuff. And I thought, okay, that's a bit worrying. 
half an hour later, I get another email which says, uh, I really have been enjoying your teaching and uh, I really uh, love the fact that people have been sparked into new faith and new life and there's been some miracles. Fantastic. But you think, uh oh, here we go. <laughs> I don't like big buts. But, but, he says, basically, but, you're, you're, you're a heretic. <laughs> and you're leading the church astray. <laughs> and you're doing violence to the scriptures, etc., etc. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. And so, I, I, anyway, to cut a long story short, I had, had a, an evening with that person and their wife in the week I, where I wanted them to hear what I, actually I was saying, not what I, I thought, what they thought I was saying. And uh, we agreed to disagree on a number of things, but we parted friends, and I'm no longer branded a heretic. But, you know, that's tough. Religion's terrible. You know, we carry all kinds of baggage with us uh, from our background, from our think- what we think we know, and we can label people quickly. You know, and he labeled me a heretic because he thought I said something. Um, yeah, but he's quite right, and I'm dangerous. You know, Keith, I am dangerous because I do, I am on a journey into the heart of God and I can only preach what he teaches me and I only teach what brings me life. I cannot tell you what I think you, the powers that be would want me to tell you. I have to tell you what I've been revealed. You know, that's it. That's all I can do. So, um, you know, and, and the message that he got upset about, I preached here. So you guys accepted it without flinching. Um, so, um, but anyway, it's wearying. It's just wearying. You know, uh, that spirit that, that thinks we've got to tell people how to act, how to behave, rather than trusting God. Uh, we've got to break it. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher and our guide, and he's the one that dis- disciples us. That's not to say there aren't things which are helpful or unhelpful. Of course there are, and we can teach. But all I'm saying is people are too quick to try and control and manipulate. Anyway, so let's uh, talk about what we're going to talk about. Holiness and hope in a hostile world. You know, when that title came through for the series, I thought, ooh, that's a bit... I'm not sure I like that. Why don't I like that? Anybody got a clue? It's difficult. Hostile world. What does that mean? You're not part of it. Yeah, it separates you out. Yep. Yes, it means the world's against you. And uh, it, it, it leads, if, you know, for me, it's, you're in danger of getting into a Christian huddle or bunker. You know, it's us against the world. You know, we've got to protect ourselves, keep ourselves hidden away out of fear because they're hostile out there. Honestly, in our culture, that's a bit of rubbish. Our culture is not actually hostile to those who are seeking to love people. It is hostile to religion, and I grant you that, but it's not actually hostile to those who want to love, really. I still remember the day a 40-year-old salesman came to me. Uh, he said, I heard a lot about your faith and about your religion. I was brought up a Catholic, but, you know, really, it was rubbish, all that stuff. It really it drove me away from God. I said, well, you know, we sat down and talked. I talked to him about the love of God and tears welled up in this 40-year-old man's eyes. And he said, no one's ever explained God like that. Now I know why I've come to this company. 
So, uh, you know, it's not hostile, really. Yes, people can get in trouble for being religious, but not for loving. You see, in Nepal, where I often go, it's hostile. There you can get beaten for your faith. There you can get imprisoned for your faith. And friends of some of my friends have been. So that's hostile. We have a Sudanese refugee living with us. That's hostile in that country. Uh, men, again, men with guns trying to get their own way. You know, his mother was shot, found his mother in a pool of blood. I mean, that's hostile. We might get laughed at, we might get dismissed, but actually, it's not that hostile here if you love Jesus. In fact, there's surveys which say that actually people quite respect us if, you know, for, for our faith. They don't often like the way we talk about it. And this is a proper research, Barna research. They don't often like the way we talk about it, but they actually do like us as people. <laughs> Not that hostile. So just want to get that ground rule out of the way. Because for the, Th- the Thessalonians, which is not an easy word to say, the Thessalonians, it was hostile. They were living in the Roman Empire. They were living in the Greek part of the Roman Empire, which was you know, ruled by fear, essentially. Again, powerful men just controlling things, promising to bring peace, promising to bring prosperity, uh, but through fear, through domination, through military might. And uh, that was a fearful place to be. But this is not. Okay, first point then. Let's actually read the passage before we go on, shall we? Because that's a good thing to do, isn't it? 1 Thessalonians 4. Verse 1. Finally then, brethren. You always like it when they say finally, don't you, preachers? We urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that they should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, and as we have also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may properly walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Okay. So... The first point I want to make out of this is holiness. Holiness is a funny word, isn't it? Hope, holy. It's quite a, a religious-sounding word, but it simply means to set apart. My mother has a holy tea set. It's set apart just for special guests. It's not really holy, but you know what I mean. It's just set apart. You know, um, so that if we're set apart from profane things, from common things, from dirty things, God can use us for holy things. That's what it means, essentially. Uh, good things, healthy things. Uh, 
for me, and you know, you can, I, you know, you may disagree with this, but that's okay. Holiness is not the thing we aim for. Holiness is not the root that grows when it's shaken. Thank you, Chris. Holiness is the fruit that comes from having your roots in Jesus. What I mean is this. How do we set ourselves apart for God? I mean, you can try and work yourself up for that. I'm going to set myself apart for God. I'm going to set myself apart for God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to set myself apart for God. But actually, uh, the way to really set yourself apart for God is to fall in love with him. And prayer and Bible reading and loving people all help in that. But that's the way to set yourself apart. Because you know, don't you, Robin knows, when you fall in love, when you, you, you set yourself apart from everything else, you do crazy things for the, thing, for the person that you fall in love with. Crazy. It's mad, isn't it? It's maddening. It's mad. When I was courting Sadie, I threw myself down a 12-feet wall to be with her. You know, uh, anyway. No, that, that was just mad. That was, there, was just, there were no steps within about a mile. But that was just mad. You do stupid things when you're in love. You set yourself apart. So if you fall in love with Jesus, if you fall in love with your father, then it ruins you actually for doing anything else. And you become holy. And that's why it says there. I love that what it says. Um, if you go back just a little bit. In verse uh, 12 and 13 of the previous chapter, it says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. You see, love is the root, and holiness is the fruit. Okay, let's move on. Time is of the essence here, and I've lost my clicker now. Don't. There it is. No, that's backwards. Okay. I wouldn't have chosen this passage to preach on. Seriously, you're all laughing. You're saying, I don't want to be in your shoes. Most of it's all about, you know, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. I've warned a few people here. Are we abstaining from sexual immorality? The truth is, Greek culture was messed up. The truth is, our culture is messed up. Number of times I prayed, you know, like Isaiah, he said, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. I say, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean eyes amongst the people of unclean eyes. <laughs> uh, you know, we're, we're crazy mixed up culture sexually, you know, and so were the Greeks. And uh, you could, I've listed a few things there. They had temple prostitution. Well, actually, they, they weren't the inventors of that. That went back to the earliest days of religion in Mesopotamia, in the Eastern religions. They were masters of it. Um, temple prostitution, paying for sex, or having kings having sex with priests, you know, um, to glorify gods of love or goddesses of love. Just mad things going on at religious sites. Sexual practices. And they were rampant in that culture. And... Uh, the Greeks also were mixed up in their ideas of love and, you know, uh, 
some Greeks had the, th- the idea. My wife's an ancient historian. She tells me that many Greeks thought the only real pure love was a man for a man. Because obviously women weren't, you know, they were second class citizens just above slaves and kids. But men, you know, so men would have, but men men would want to show their power, their manliness by dominating. And so they would penetrate young boys or they would penetrate slaves or they would penetrate women or animals. It didn't actually make much difference. It was actually just a sign of their manhood. Uh, So it was pretty mixed up. Some people are a bit nervous now. Um, it was mixed up. And you know, in Deuteronomy, you probably don't know this, but in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 17 and 18, there's actually specific commands that no children of God, no, no Jews should become temple prostitutes, male or female. That's, they're listed there explicitly. Isn't that amazing? We need a law for that. <laughs> don't need a law for that these days, do we? It's not something we tell our kids, is it? When you grow up, don't become a temple prostitute. Do you tell your kids that? No. Good. We don't need to, do we? Because it's moved on. But they, they, were, they had to. But what does sexual immorality mean? It was something, obviously, that was keep, you know, on the keen for the Jews. That, I mean, the only thing that they asked uh, the Gentiles to do was to not drink blood and not to commit sexual immorality in their walks, in their faith in God. It's pretty vague, isn't it? The Greek word's pornea, and you can argue about what it means, but it probably means something like any illicit form of sexual activity, sexual intercourse. So why is that vague? Well, it's a bit vague because it's cultural, isn't it? Isn't it cultural to a certain extent? We see it in scripture, don't we? You know, don't you, that uh, most of the heroes of the Old Testament, or many, not most, many of the heroes of the Old Testament were sexually immoral by our standards. Why do I say that? Yeah, they're simply, they have more than one wife. Even in the New Testament, that wasn't actually condemned, was it? Was it? Come on. Was it, was it? But actually, uh, it was clear there was movement on that because it was leaders in the church were supposed to only have one wife. That's what Paul's encouragement was. So there was a bit of a movement, a transgression. So there's, some culture, there's some cultural ambiguity around that. That's what I'm saying. So... <clears throat> But it's clear, it seems to me in Scripture, that God is, loves faithfulness and he wants us to be faithfully committed to one partner. So, you know, another way it's moved, if you look at the Old Testament, Moses says, if you want to get a divorce, you can. You can just write to your, your wife, you know, and you can have a divorce. And when they're arguing about it in Jesus' day, he said, well, God only gave you that command because of the hardness of your heart. Isn't that interesting? There's scripture that exists, not because it's eternally true. There is scripture that exists purely because of the hardness of our hearts. and We weren't ready for the truth yet. Jesus says the truth is if you divorce anybody or a lady except for sexual immorality, you cause her to become an adulteress. That's the truth. 
but we're still hard-hearted. That's just the fact. So, I'm not going to go into them, into the areas that you want me to go into, because we'd be here all day, and I'd probably get sto- stoned. Not on drugs. Um, we haven't got time to go into that, to be honest with you, and it's too difficult to go into um, in ten in five minutes, which is all I've got left. So, but I want to say those things so that you know. Oh, I've hidden it again. Dear, oh dear. <clears throat> I want to just finish with that. Uh, Paul's last thing, after he's moved on from a sexual immorality, keeping yourself clean, pure, um, for, untainted by the, the corrupt culture around you. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, we have to, don't we? We have to keep ourselves untainted. You know, um, just let me say this because our eyes are important. What we look at is important. Uh, we have a problem with pornography in this country because people look at the wrong things. And it's, it's incredibly sad that uh, the internet is so rife with it. It's incredibly sad. I'm glad I'm not a young man growing up in this age. I'd, I'd have been completely lost. Uh, we need to avert our eyes from things. You know, Eve needed to avert her eyes from the apple tree, well, whenever it was, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because she looked at it and saw it was good. She lusted after it and then ate. Uh, angels in Genesis chapter 6 looked at the daughters of women and thought, oh, they look nice. I want one of those for myself. And they, they took on men form and they had children with them. You know, they lusted after them. We've got to be careful what we look at. This morning, if you lust after something, if you're looking at something you know you shouldn't have, there's grace for you this morning to break that habit, to break that, to let go of all lust and fill your hearts with love. Okay. So uh, last point then is is love and labor. I like this. Make it your aspiration to lead a quiet life and work with your hands. It's not very sexy, is it? Is it? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> That's the struggle. It's so boring. <laughs> it is quite boring. But put yourself in their place. The Thessalonian church, small, fledgling church, in a totally messed up culture, dominated by the Romans, but still heavily influenced by the Greeks, uh, where to be part of the society, you had to go to the temp- these temples and be part of the everyday th- things that everybody did. It's like not get, you know, and if you didn't, if you stepped out of that, you know, you were considered odd. And uh, persecution was rife and hostility were rife. So you could get into all kinds of trouble. So what I think Paul is saying is here, don't deliberately stir up antagonism. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I want you to be culturally different. I want you to set a different tone. I want you to actually stand out from the crowd, but not in a loud and aggressive manner. And I think that's good, actually. We don't need to stand out in a loud, aggressive manner. You think of the people that do. You see, I think we want to control things all the time. We just don't trust God. We don't trust one another. We want to control. So the left, you know, when they want to control people, they counsel them. Oh, I don't like what you're saying. You can't talk here. 
control. Rather than just have the debate and allow people to weigh it up and say, actually, that's a load of old rubbish. They want to cancel it. The right, they want to vote judges in and have laws which compel people to do the right thing. It's control again. Why can't we have the debate? Why can't we just trust that in the debate, good will come out? Why can't we win the arguments? Anyway, I think it's lazy, just lazy to try and cancel people or impose laws. We need to be much harder working than that to win. We need to lead quiet lives that aspire, that inspire people. We're to live such lives that people look at us, look at our families and say, look at the joy, look at the peace, look at the love that is in that place. I want some of that. And that's how we change the world. That's how they changed the Roman Empire. Anyway, I've got run out of time. So we're to inspire imitation, not to seek to control. Sorry, Keith. So, so what then? I say, let love abound. And I love this, what Paul says. He begins with praying for them that they love one another with abound more and more. Towards the end, he says... Concerning brotherly love, there's no need to write to you. You're taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren. But we urge you that you increase more and more. I don't want us to compare ourselves to the Gentiles down the road and say, look, at we aren't, aren't we good? <laughs> aren't we doing a good job? Haven't we got a good to a good place? No, we've got to abound more and more until there's wonders happening. Because when, when, And when Keith gets up and says, has anybody got anything to say? There's too many people for us to get through in the meeting. We have to cancel the speaker and the worship because of all the stories of the wonders that God is doing. Yeah, thank you, Keith. You did well. But honestly, guys, we're not there yet. We need to abound in the love of God more and more. The truth is, we're still orphans. We don't know yet who we are. Because we're not living, not really living in the wonder that we could be living in. So, okay, let's love people. Let's love one another more and more. I implore you, urge you. I have no need to write to you. You're taught by God. But I do implore you more and more to love one another. To let love abound in this place. So that people look in and think, wow, I want to be part of that. Hard work to bring inspiration. But let's avert our eyes. And uh, I just want to take a moment now, if I may, just to close our eyes. Because I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. But if you know that actually you've looked at things you shouldn't look at. Whether on the internet or in the flesh or whatever, the stuff that you've looked at and desires grown in your heart. There's grace this morning to break that. From Jesus Christ. He sets us free. So uh, I proclaim freedom over you now. Ask God to help you, to extend grace to you, to overcome in the name of the Son of God who loves you. I proclaim freedom to you right now in the name of Jesus. Be free. Make a decision to avert your eyes. And lastly then, just to, to aspire, to inspire.
not to control. Will we do that? Will we do that? Will you make this place inspirational? Jesus says you're the light of the world. Father, I pray for this, uh, this church that love would abound here more and more. Their love for one another would abound. Just as Paul said. Just as he encourages the Romans and the, and the Galatians and the Ephesians. It's all about love, Lord Jesus. Help us to love one another, to live up to what we claim, to love everyone that we meet. And to do it in a way which is inspirational and not to be settled for where we've got to, but to push on to, into greater love. In Jesus' name, amen.